we are really interesting people. Uh, we've learned how to make things that are of ill repute. That's ill repute, that's a strange word. Every time I say ill repute, I think about my mama saying, Scott, that's just of ill repute. And really didn't know what it means, but I, I do now. But we have ways of making things that are not appropriate. We give them different kind of idioms that make it sound better. Here, let me give you some example. They'll be up on the screen. Uh, we call lies stretching the truth. We always call them lies, call it stretching the truth. In fact, I've heard one preacher say, now, listen, now I'm just coloring the flowers. In other words, not telling the truth about a preacher story, but stretching the truth. I, when my daughter Kayla was little, we were listening to this preacher and she leaned over and said, daddy, is that the truth or a preacher story? We stretch the truth. Instead of lies, we stretch the truth. We call adultery having an affair. Doesn't that sound more appropriate than unwashed fornication. Adultery is having an affair. And then we call being fat, well, just big boned. I like that. I've been called big boned all my life. I wonder how big my bones really are. I wonder if you stripped away everything, does my skeleton still weigh 200 pounds? Okay, don't go there. We call having a lack of integrity. Oh, we just call that a politician. That's what we call that. And then we call people who are stupid we just say, oh, well, bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. So I, I think I could go on. You can add to the list. I say all this in jest, really, but, in, but we do this the same when it comes to this topic about worry. And today we're going to talk about what Jesus says about worry. Worrying is a sin, straight up, sinful. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but we're anxious about everything. Especially now in this season of pandemic and pandemonium, we have a tendency to live in the future expectations of what could happen instead of the present realities of how God is working. And so we learn to say things about worry that are the same ways we kind of take the things of ill repute and we anesthetize them or sanitize them so they become more palatable. Now, listen to this. This is things we say about worry here in the Christian, in the church world. Church world is what we say. Well, I just have a burden God's laid a burden on my heart, which basically says I'm worried about something. Or we say this, well, I guess this concern of mine is just my cross to bear, cross to bear. And it, we somehow make it spiritually sounding that we're worried about something. Or we say, well, I just have an unspoken request. And that usually is something to do with a, uh, a malfunction of my character or something I'm worried about or some secret sin I'm engaged in that I don't want you to know about an unspoken request. Now, some of you are going to think from now on, when somebody says, I have an unspoken request, they got some kind of secret sexual sin that's going on they need to confess, and you won't hear about it. Well, that's called gossip, and we'll talk about that another time. Well, and here's my favorite. Well, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. And what I've discovered as being a pastor for all these years, people come to me and say, Pastor, many people have come to me, and they're concerned about something which really translates, I've gone to many people and complained about something. And so this, this concerned word is our camouflage for worry. Now, before you tune me out and say, you just got to pick it on me now, I want to encourage you. I want to spend some time that, to say this, that worry is part of our fallen human condition. We don't have the capacity to know the future, even though we desire to have that capacity. We really don't even have the capacity to fully understand our past or grasp even the present. 
Now, because we desire to have foreknowledge, and that's the only thing that God, one of the, the ability God has, and only God has, the ability to sit and look at a place from horizon to horizon. We talked about it in the summer bumper, the video you just watched, that we want that because we want to be God. We don't have that capacity. We desire it. My dad, who lived to be 89 years old, survivor of World War II, a great godly man, he said this. He said this in his late 80s. This is his quote. And some of you heard this before, but it bears us reminding. Most of the things we worry about don't happen. And if they do, they really don't amount to much. Now, that's kind of a true statement. That, and that's true, and I believe it is. We expend so much time and energy uselessly on things we're worried about that really doesn't matter. And here's my question. Why do we lie awake at night trying to control what's out of control? We can't, but we do that. Now, particularly in this season of pandemic, we struggle and we worry. Some of you, are, you have major concerns about your job and your future and your economic viability, and the hand ringers are out there getting us confused. And, and then we have the other people who say this is all a conspiracy. In fact, I've heard some crazy, crazy conspiracy theories about this pandemic. And of course, every, one, every person who sends me an email, whether it's a, a conspiracy theory or whether it's a, a, a quote from the media about how terrible things are and how we're all gonna die, they want me to post it on a website. I'm not gonna do that because I don't wanna be a purveyor of anything other than hope, a purveyor of anything other than what King Jesus says. But these are the stresses we live under and we worry. And, and what I've noticed, and I've been watching kind of how people react out in public. I've watched this, that the media tells us to wring our hands. The, the other side says to rebel against the government and whatever. But I've noticed this about me. When I stand in line at HEB, everybody is suspicious. They might be that virus walking around. I was standing in line the other day at HEB and I was standing there in the queued up, ready to go in the store. And they let one at a time. Y'all know the drill. And I was leaning against the post. I had my hand against the post and I automatically went, oh, what am I doing? That's a toxic surface. See, everybody's suspicious that every surface is now toxic because we are worried. And instead of becoming obsessed and concerned, maybe we need to turn to King Jesus and see what he says to us about this season. Now, Jesus never tells us to be stupid. Never tells us to be stupid but he tells us to be trusting in him and to live a life fully engaged with his reality and his promise and his hope. So in the greatest sermon ever spoken, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus leans into the condition of our heart, the condition of worry. Now, basically, I can tell you this. This is a two-part talk. This week, we're gonna talk about worry, and next week, we're gonna talk about provision and generosity, which are all tied together. And we're gonna look at one kind of big block of this Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said. So I want you to be encouraged and don't miss next week. In fact, go ahead and share this with other people and get them watching, and let's see if this will go viral. <laughs> How about that? So let's listen and hear what Jesus says. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you speak through me, that it's not my words or my thoughts, but your truth that leads us to comfort and hope, that we will cast our cares on you because you care for us. And I pray that the words I speak are not mine, but yours, and the truth that we convey 
will find a lodging in our hearts that we might live differently and live all for you. So thank you for what you're going to say to us. And we pray this all in King Jesus' strong name. Amen. Now I want you to look with me at Matthew. We're going to look at the book of Matthew, Matthew 6. And we're going to begin at verse 30. And we're going to go down through 34 and look at this body of what Jesus is saying. So let me read this for you just to kind of get our thoughts in motion. If God so clothes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or comes up and it perishes, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He just, Jesus just says, oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows what you, that you need all, uh, you need them all. And then he says in 33, which is one of my favorite passages, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own troubles. In other words, Jesus says, live in the present. Live in the provision and the reality of King Jesus. Now, he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and what he did in the Sermon on the Mount, he illustrated how bad we need spiritual transformation. Because in our natural self, we will never live the life that God wants us to live. But in our supernatural empowerment of our lives through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we live empowered lives supernaturally to be a blessing to the world around us. This is amazing. So here's some things I want you to kind of jot down and hold on to. And I think they're going to be easy to track with. First of all, Jesus says, have faith, have faith. And he calls us out. He says, oh, ye of little faith. Now, just a little bit of faith goes a long way. Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, and that's very tiny, uh, it's not the, the stuff you squirt on your hot dog, but it's very tiny. That mustard seed it, that grows into a large tree. If you have that faith, you can speak to a mountain to make it move into the sea. Now, he wasn't talking literally, but figuratively. The mountains of your concern and your worry can be removed with a little faith and trusting in God, who's the one who created the mountains. Wow, a little faith goes a long way. A little faith goes a long way. Now, faith is a slippery thing. Because we talk about it, but we really don't know what it is. We think it's an object that we hold on. In fact, if you listen to some TV preachers, they'll teach you to have faith in faith, which becomes fatalistic. It leads to nowhere. But faith in Christ leads to eternity. So faith is a slippery thing. Let me define faith according to Scripture. It says this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith, get this, is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, what translation says the evidence of things not seen? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It's not faith in faith, but faith in the person of King Jesus. And he says, oh, ye of little faith. So our problem then is an assurance problem, a faith problem, because our assurance is based on a person, not a feeling, not a circumstance, but on King Jesus himself. That our hope is found and Jesus Christ, his righteousness, and nothing else. And I love that old song, and it's true, and it, it rolls around in my heart. But also, that faith brings a conviction. Now, conviction will lead to action, even if it's not seen. 
So what, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that I'm assured of the faith I have in Christ and that's gonna lead me to a life of action of trusting in him. So I'm not gonna wring my hands, what shall I eat, what shall I wear, uh, all these things. I'm gonna say I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna trust in you. And I wanna say this to you, I'm better about preaching about this than I'm living it because this is a struggle for all of us. Faith in Jesus launches his authority in my life. What? Say it again. Faith in Jesus launches his authority in my life. Listen to what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do and greater works than that he will do because I'm going to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Faith in Jesus launches the authority of God in your life. That when I trust in him, I will do the works that Jesus did, even greater things he says. And if I ask according to his character and his will, he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Faith is the victory that overcomes this world of trouble. We sing a song occasionally. It says, I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful, you are faithful. And his faithfulness is even when I'm not faithful because it's based on his character and not by behavior. It's based on his promises, not my feeble trusting. But I need to be a man of great faith holding on to King Jesus because he holds on to me. There's a, more than likely today a very dear person watching us online. It's my sister, Judy. I love my sister. And she lives down in Florida and uh, her and her husband, Ron, and she has kids there, and I, just, I love my sister. My sister almost was a memory and not a reality. Now, let me tell you this story. This is taught by great faith. This comes from my father telling it and me probably extrapolating it, and when you see Judy, she probably can correct it, but, but I'm gonna tell it. And this is the truth, not just a preacher story. So let me tell you this truth. Judy was born in, in the 50s. I'm not gonna tell you what year because you're not supposed to talk about age, but she's a little older than me. She looks a lot better than me, but that ain't hard. But uh, Judy was born, and she was born prematurely. She came too early. And where she was born in a little town called Philadelphia, Mississippi, they really didn't have proper neonatal care in the season she was born. So they transported her by ambulance to a better hospital in Meridian, Mississippi. It's about a 45-mile journey, about an hour and a half or an hour or so drive from, from Philadelphia to Meridian. They transported her. My mom, uh, back in the day, your mom stayed in the hospital for like forever when they had a baby. And she stayed there in the hospital and, and, and Judy was down the road. And David, my oldest brother, she, he was being cared for by my grandmother. And uh, dad, during those days, was driving back and forth, checking on his girls. I want to tell you something about my daddy. My daddy was amazing. He loved his kids and he loved my mama. Dad was amazing. And I could just, I'm getting emotional because I just, I know how my daddy, much my daddy loves, how much he loved and he still loves. He's loving with King Jesus right now. My daddy loved his girls and I know he was concerned. He was worried. And I know my dad was a man of great faith, not a man of little faith, but great faith. And he would drive down to Meridian and the doctors would say, we don't think Judy's gonna make it. Her lungs are not developed and we just don't think she's gonna make it. We're doing everything we can. 
So we went back to my mother and, and told her, and my mom and my dad committed to pray and to fast for Judy's healing. So about day three, things did not get better. Things were worse. On day three, dad drove down to Meridian and he talked to the doctor. The doctor says, well, things are not much better. And so he was on his way back to talk to my mother. And he said about 10 o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke to him. That little voice that sounds like your voice, but it's not your character. That little voice spoke to him. He said, Judy's gonna be fine. Judy's gonna be fine. Trust in me. So dad stopped at a hamburger place and he picked up two hamburgers and he went up to my mother's room there in Philadelphia. And he said, here's a hamburger. The Lord told me Judy's gonna be fine. They both ate, they celebrated. Dad drove back down to Meridian, Mississippi. And the doctor said, you're not gonna believe this. About 10 o'clock, she coughed up this black stuff out of her lungs. She's breathing well, you can take her home soon. Faith is the victory that overcomes our concerns. I'm holding on to your promises because you're faithful, you're faithful, you're faithful. Now what happened with that story about my sister? Me hearing this all the time growing up as a little boy and now as an old man, I realized that I could trust God. I'm borrowing the faith of my father and the reality of my sister and I love my sister because faith is the victory. So I want to say this to you. I want you to hold on to this. We have faith in Christ, but listen to this. Jesus says, you have a father. You have a father. Therefore, do be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after this. And your heavenly father knows what, that you need them all. Your heavenly father for some of you, when I say this, this is a disappointment because your father was, was a disappointment. Maybe he wasn't faithful. Maybe he did some things and he's done some things or said some things or, and you're just like, you're repulsed at the fact that God is a father. I want to tell you something. Do not hold your heavenly father to that same standard because he's a good, good father. He's a father who loves you and who cares for you and provides for you. I had a great father and I get that, but some of you, didn't, but this father is not like your father. My father wasn't perfect, but this heavenly father is perfect. And he's loved me with a love that will not let me go. Now, Jesus was addressing the Jewish people who understand that God was their caregiver. They had heard about stories about split seas and about bread coming from heaven and water from rocks and quail coming into the camp. But Jesus was reminding them that your heavenly father knows all about them things, these things. Now, notice he said this. He said, what shall we eat? Manna from heaven. What shall we drink? Water from a rock. What shall we wear? In the Hebrew Exodus, their clothes did not wear out, nor did their sandals wear out, nor did they get blisters on their feet for 40 years. Why did Jesus use those three things? Because those three things were the reality in the history of the Jewish people. That's why he said them. And they knew that God was their caregiver. But what they've done, just like us, They've allowed the realities of the present day worry to crowd out the promises of God. And boy, don't we do the same. We allow this day-to-day -day worries to crowd out the promises of God. And we pray this prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. 
when the bread of King Jesus is baked in his kitchen the night before our need. He's always ahead of us and he's always faithful to us. You see, Jesus's ministry, his whole ministry was about meeting needs. And so should ours. That's what our ministry should be about. That's what the church should be about, meeting needs. Not holding gatherings, not pontificating some great doctrine, even those things are important. But doctrine should lead to a devotion, and devotion should lead to a cultural impact. That God has says this, I want you to love me and love people. That's why here at First Baptist Wimberley, we're actively feeding people. We're actively leaning into the solutions during this pandemic. We're, we're doing the things that God has asked us to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're doing those things. But I want to empower you, wherever you're listening, do not wait for the organizational structure, quote unquote, of the church to do the good that needs doing. Just go do it. You are free to roam about the country, social distancing appropriately, to do the good in the world that needs doing. You're free to do that, to see a need and to meet a need. I've made a commitment, a dead gummit. I've had to keep it, and I probably shouldn't even tell you about it, but I am. That uh, every time I see a homeless person, if I got some money, I give it to them. No matter how much I have, I, I give it to them. Now, normally, uh, I don't have any money, any paper money anymore. In fact, I hear paper money's gonna be gone pretty soon because nobody trusts it anymore. But I, I give it to them. No matter how much I got, I give it to them. There are times when it's been really awkward that I had to give them the money I had. Now, you say, well, pastor, you're just being foolish. You don't ever know what they're gonna do with it. You know what? That's my business and not yours. Don't judge me. Or don't put me on a pedestal because I made a commitment to God to see a need, to meet a need. Because this is how God provides for us through one another. That's why God puts us into family and a Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. And you may feel orphaned because you're not in a gathering, a room, live with people. But I want to tell you, you are not because thousands of you are now online together watching. And we're experiencing what God is saying, and you are the church. Go do the good that needs doing. Why? Because you have a father and he's releasing you to do these things today. I'll say this to you. The most secure days of my life when I was living with my daddy because I knew my daddy had it. He had it covered. Now, we didn't grow up in opulence. We didn't grow up with, with a lot of money. We didn't have the fanciest house or the fastest cars. We didn't have any of that. We didn't have the newest clothes, but I had a father who cared for me and I knew it. I, and I went to bed every night with great security, listened to my parents read scripture and pray out loud together. I lived in that kind of environment. I'd go back to it again today. If I could move home and live with my daddy, I would go. But now I'm a father. I'm a papa. I'm a grandfather. I have to be the one who provides that security because you know what? I have a father. His name is King Jesus. And he's providing for my soul and providing for my life practically and physically, and spiritually and emotionally and relationally what I cannot provide for myself. I love that about him. I want to give you a promise found in Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she has no compassion on the son of her womb? Even though she may forget, I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. You are continually before me. I've engraved you 
on the palm of his narrow pierced hands. Your name rests on God. Engraving here means to literally carve it in. Permanent, not a tattoo, but an engraving. As if flesh has been removed and your name been placed in the nail-pierced hand of King Jesus. You've got a father and you can have faith in, faith in him. Why worry when you've got a daddy? So Jesus says this, shift your focus then. You're focusing on all the wrong things. So shift your focus. And in 33, he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I love that, that your focus becomes the direction of your life. You know what you focus on is what you become. What you focus on is what you become. Professional athletes, they do a thing called envisioning. Like they'll envision them hitting a baseball or envisioning them making the shot or envision how they're going to run their pass route or throw that pass they in, or hit that golf ball. They envision how this is going to play out. And their vision, their focus becomes their direction. And they visualize and they teach that. You know, there's many times as doing what I do in singing or in teaching or whatever, I have to visualize what I'm doing. And it, it comes before I actually do it. In fact, when I sing, I hear the notes before I sing the notes. It's, it's, it's a precursor. And what it is called shifting my focus. Now think about this. If I shift my focus off my concerns, my unspoken requests, my anxious thoughts, all those things we say that covers up our true sense of worry, if I shift my focus to Jesus, everything becomes clear. Huh. So I move from focus on my worries and my fears to focusing on my Savior. There's a lesson that we learn from, from Peter walking on the water. Peter gets out of the boat. Jesus said, come to me, Peter. And Peter gets out and he starts walking on the water. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to sink. And then Peter prays probably the most effective prayer found in all scripture. Jesus saves me, saved me, and immediately they were back in the boat. That's a powerful prayer. But let me tell you more about that. Jesus is saying, look at me. Don't look around you at the circumstances. Look at me me. I've got this. Again, the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, worry, and sin, worry, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God. God has an agenda for us. He has a plan for us. Uh, this, this past week, we were in conversation with my precious wife, Tara, and I said, you know, I would rather follow the plans of God than the plans of Scott. Now, a man makes his plan, but God determines his steps. And in this season of uncertainty, I'm really not even sure how to lead. 
I don't know when to invite y'all back to come to a public gathering. I know this, that I'm going to be obedient by providing content for you on the, on the web because we love you and we're stretching ourselves to do that. We're launching new curriculum on our video all the time. I've got 12 sessions called What Jesus Says About Leadership that will be launched. We have the Fear of Faith. We have the 52 Weeks with Jesus. We have tons of other content available for you. We have Right Now Media for you. We're doing all these things for you because we love you and we want to see God build your life. We're going to launch a whole nother bunch of stuff on our, on our web to help build your life. Cause really we realize we've gone from a church in a location to a church that's global and we're going to do everything God wants us to do for that. But so we have to shift our focus. I cannot focus on the pandemic, the pan, the pandemic that's around me. I have to focus on the person that's in front of me and his name is King Jesus. So when I shift my focus, I move to God's agenda and my right standing is not based on my faith, but his in Christ. That my righteousness is not mine, it's Jesus. And my understanding is not mine, but Jesus. And he, Jesus, promises to feed his children, to clothe his children. <laughs> he promises to meet our needs. In 2008, we experienced a different kind of pandemic. And it wasn't a virus, it was a financial crisis. And everything crumbled. And some of y'all remember it because you crumbled with it. And I remember it because I crumbled with it. Tara and I crumbled with it. We lost everything we owned, including our house. We lost it all. We were planning a church in Tallahassee. It was a church of college students. Uh, it was tough. The offerings could not cover our salary. We tried to start a business that went under. And the lawyers took everything we owned. And then God and then God, and then God, and then God put us into Canada. Thank you, Jesus, for Canada. Thank you, Jesus, for Canadians. If you're my Canadian friends, I want to tell you something. I love you, and I miss you. I miss those beautiful mountains. I miss those beautiful faces, those beautiful people. But now I'm in the hill country of Texas, and I love you, and I'm thinking for God for you Texans as well. And I don't know where you're listening from, and maybe I don't even know you, but I want to tell you something. I love you because the Lord loves you. And I want to tell you this, that in the midst, in the middle of terror and I losing everything, we had a God who was giving us everything at the right time. When the bank came to collect the keys to our house, our moving truck left with our contents to Canada. When we had nothing left in the bank, the bankers, lawyers got it all. God made a way for us. He's faithful. You could trust him. But you gotta shift your focus. And in those seasons, it was hard. <laughs> I used to love to check the mail. Boy, I love to check the mail. I mean, I can remember ever since I was a little kid, I loved to go to the mailbox. Check the mail. See if something there. Check the mail. Check the mail. Check the mail. Love. Check the mail. You know what? During that season, I hated to check the mail. I dreaded to check, check the mail. I'd see the mailman, the postal service in Canada, and my stomach would get into knots. I hated. You know what? I still hate the mail now because it was always the bearer of bad news, but the Lord is the bearer of good news. And he is our rock and he is our salvation. And I could tell you over and over and over about the good things God has done. But you know one thing we did during that season of losing everything? 
we continue to give to God because he's been so gracious to us. Even when we only had a little, we gave to God. You know, faithfulness and giving is a part of trusting. You say, well, Scott, we're in this season of pandemic and we don't know what the future holds, but I'll tell you something. God says, trust me with your money and I'll bring all the tithes into the storehouse and I'll pour out a blessing on you. And I'm not saying that as a prosperity preacher, I'm not. I'm telling you as a person who trusts Jesus and watched him be faithful to us financially for 39 years, you can trust him and you need to give. Tara and I are giving. We're giving more now than we ever have because we love the Lord and he's gonna take care of it. We love this church and we love this ministry. That's why. So go online and give as an act of worship, as an act of shifting your focus off your finances to your Savior. Shift your focus from the coronavirus to your Savior. Shift your focus off the concern and the worry of your children to your Savior. Shift your focus on the security of your job because there is no security in a job. The security is only found in King Jesus. Shift your focus. Shift your focus and live. Let me conclude with this. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's what Paul said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Philippi. Shift your thoughts to the King with whom you have faith, who is your father, who will provide for you every need. Why? Because most stuff you worry about doesn't happen. And if it does, it doesn't amount to much. It doesn't amount to much.